Welcome to the Disability Belongs podcast. Hello, thank you for choosing to listen to the Disability Belongs podcast. I'm your host, Cami, and I'm so excited to get into today's episode with Tatum Tricarico. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started, that the opinions expressed in the Disability Belongs podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of CFILC, its member organizations, or Yo Disabled and Proud. And with that out of the way, let's get into today's episode. Our guest today has a bachelor's degree in Christian studies and philosophy and is a master's of divinity student. She has written a killer honors project. It was 86 pages about disability theology. She loves Cheez-Its and she was my roommate and she's my best friend. Please welcome Tatum Tricarico. Hey, Tatum. Hi, thank you so much for having me on your awesome new podcast. I'm so excited. Me too. (laughs) So I think the story of how we met is pretty good and we should tell that before we get into real stuff. I agree. So I am a year younger than Tatum and I started in college and within the first two weeks of school, I, well, first of all, I remember seeing a blind girl on campus and I was like, I need to be friends with her, which I'm pretty sure that's not how you're supposed to make friends, but eh, it worked. So within the first two weeks of starting at college, everyone I met was like, you have to meet my friend. There were two people. They were like, you have to meet my friend. I thought they were talking about two totally different friends. And then they're like, you have to meet Tatum. And I was like, okay. And then I think I texted Tatum, hi, hi, let's be friends. I don't know how that worked. Tatum, what did yes. I text you? You said, hi, I'm Cammie. I said, I don't know who Cammie is. And then you said, and I want to join the club. Oh, right, right. The disability club on campus. The disability club on campus I that I was very bit. briefly the president of. Yes, and I think I was the vice president for like, 20 and a half minutes but yes that one fizzled but we've we've done some better disability stuff since then yeah, we have <laughs> and so the first day that Tatum and I met I said hi I'm Cami. I have POTS which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome that's a mouthful and, and Tatum I goes said I have POTS too <laughs> and I was like was- what it was very exciting. We're still friends. It's been three, four years. I don't four know. Years? We're stuck with each other for life yeah. now. We've We're stuck. It's good. And one of our first hangout days together, yes. I dyed Tatum's hair blue. Yes. That's she dyed my hair blue. College. I did not know you <laughs> well at all. No. And our hair was blue. And it was supposed to be blue for like, what? four or five weeks was the deal yeah like a couple goal was blue for uh like dysautonomia or pots awareness month yes it was blue for yeah the goal was the month for the awareness month and we it was blue for probably a solid five or six months so had blue hair for a while yeah you know definitely washed my hair with tomato sauce to try and get the blue out yeah. It didn't work. And then I was just covered in tomato sauce. So, <laughs> oh no. 
Maybe don't dye your hair blue. Maybe don't dye your hair blue in your dorm room when you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah, but you, know, you live and you learn. But yeah. yeah, that was a fun first friend date situation. Yeah, and since then, we've learned so much from each other. I've learned so much from Tatum about disability justice. And I just love my tomb. She's the yes. best. I love you too. I don't really know how to transition from that into our first question, but... You know, I think it all really relates. Yeah, I think we just jump in. So what was your experience growing up as a disabled person in the school system? Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, So I think when I was younger, um, I put my disability into an only medical category like and I think my um like my doctors and people in like a lot of just leadership positions above me sort of put um put my disability as just a medical thing and so I didn't have any concept that it can could or should affect me in um elementary school or middle school or whatever um and so I knew that I used things like enlarged print and that I couldn't get down the stairs like everybody else could, Um, but I didn't use a cane and I didn't have um, any accommodations kind of other than the large print and then eventually the um, iPad and to read in large print. Um, And so I didn't, um, like I didn't really pay attention to it and it would just sort of pop up from time to time in conversations with um, like kids and teachers of like, teachers being like, oh, let me help you with this, or kids being like, what, like, what's wrong with you, which was always a fun question, um, and then, um, in high school, um, my vision changed pretty significantly, um, in my sophomore year of high school, and I started walking with a cane, started working with a one-on-one aide, and, um, like, at that point in my life, knew that I was um, disabled, at least in some ways. I wouldn't say I necessarily identified as disabled yet, but I knew that it um, impacted my life bigger than just, um, I don't know, just medically. And so I started paying more attention to it and like processing it more then. Um, And I think that that really changed, that made the start of high school and the end of high school very different um in very interesting ways but yeah I think I had it was an interesting experience it was a roller coaster can you talk a little bit more about that change in high school and kind of what the beginning of high school was versus what the end of high school was with that vision change yeah so I think um especially once I was in high school but I think this was true younger too um the school system sort of pushed in a way of like I knew that I had accommodations, but I wasn't like those people um, was kind of the general assumption and the least like, like the least I could identify with my disability, the better was what all of the teachers and all of the students were like either intentionally or um, unintentionally pushing me into. And so I think I started out high school really, and I started out high school um, and I took my first kind of special education classes. Um, I was pulled out 
in um, elementary school and middle school for certain things, just like every so often. But in high school, I had my first um, freshman year, I had my first um, special education class. Um, and I had that once a day for all four years of high school um, that I was in like a um, sort of like it was called like a learning strategies class. So it was like with other students with IEPs who were in the general ed program. Um, and so I and that, again, was like the least that you can identify with these people, the better. Um, like identify with your other classes and your other classmates. Um, and that was really hard for me because then when I did, um, like when I did experience that change in my vision, um, I didn't know what to do. And I initially noted it as a really bad thing. Um, but I think in some ways pretty quickly came around to the fact that um, not only was it not and I wouldn't have noticed this at the time, but I think not only was it not a bad thing, but that um, I was like living more fully into myself because I think I had to notice it um, in other realms other than just medically at that point. And so I don't think I like I wouldn't have put those words to it at that point, but it was um, it was helpful for me to go through that in some ways. It was really terrifying and hard in a lot of other ways. Um, but instead of pushing away from identifying with um, disabled people, I got to like claim my identity as a disabled person. And I don't think I really claimed it until college, but um, I do think that I had like being forced to deal with it made it so that I could claim it. Um, and acknowledge it and like be honest with myself about what my body was and that was really helpful and so I think when I started using my cane and working with AIDS um, friends were really thrown off and even family potentially was really thrown off about um, just like what that was and I think people were really upset and people were really scared um, as was I but I also looked at it as a positive thing of um like it was helping keep me from pain and it was helping keep me from issues that I was having. And so um, when they would react really strongly negatively, it was almost um, jarring for me to be like, oh, this is like helpful <laughs> and like doing something positive in my life, this cane or this aid eventually. The aids were really challenging um, to deal with. Um, and I, <laughs> that system is really messed up in a lot of ways but um I think just I don't know being able to recognize that I did need support and like to honor myself in that way was really helpful even if I didn't notice it and was just kind of scared of it at the time yeah that makes so much sense and yeah. I know I've got to know you so I know that you have a really strong sense of disability pride can you <laughs> too strong <laughs> too strong I don't know if that's possible can you definitely have a giant disability pride flag hanging yes I can't see it right now but it's really big <laughs> hanging above my desk it's like the size of my entire it's actually bigger than my desk I think it's a very big flag can you talk about what helped you to develop disability pride yeah, I think um, a lot of things. I think mostly, though, the community. Um, so I connected with, I started volunteering in my um, high school's special education classroom. 
And I didn't want to at first. I kind of got forced into it by one of my one-on-one aides, which was very odd. Um, And I didn't want to at first. And then because I was so pushed in this idea of like, don't identify with disabled people. So once I started being part of that classroom and realizing that um, people talked about how different disabled people were from people in the general education program. And I realized that I was part of that and that it wasn't a difference um, because I was like within that community. Um, And then that I didn't feel wildly different from my um, abled peers. And so in college, connecting with people like you and other disabled people um, was really, really helpful. And then I had a few professors who really encouraged like learning about ableism and learning about how it wasn't just my um because I kind of noted everything as oh this is a really awkward moment and I'm part of it and it just was what it was and it was a moment and then it was over and then I didn't think about it but linking them all together as ableism made me realize that it was sort of the systemic thing um And so connecting with the community felt really huge. And that community was also really present on Instagram. Um, And that was really powerful for me to lean into that community and recognize how many other people were dealing with similar things. And then I wasn't like by myself in it. And so in all of those spaces, I started really recognizing that like there was space to be proud of this group um, because I loved these people. And so that was a huge thing. And then also to learn the history of the disability rights movement and people like Ed Roberts and Judy Human and Justin Dart and moments of um, the 504 sit-ins and Capitol Crawl and things like that. And just the lovely and powerful and beautiful things that disabled people have done. Um, Reading about and learning about and now getting to have conversations about all of that. really like changed my understanding of where I was rooted and it was kind of no longer like me trying to disconnect from this thing but instead me living into this identity as a disabled person and being part of this amazing community and this amazing history that just like um gave me a lot of reason to be proud so yeah I I love it (laughs) I love that answer so much Thanks. I love that I helped you develop disability pride because I always think about how you helped me. Oh my goodness. No. Yeah. Disability pride never think about it the other way. Oh, yeah. No, I if I were not connected with disabled people in college, there would have been no way <laughs> that I could not have had any of these random conversations to get to this point. Yeah. No, who would have thought a conversation at the top of the stairs about how we didn't realize that we had the same condition? would result in us recording a podcast together. I love it. That's fun. If you could write a letter to baby Tatum in high school, who maybe didn't know what disability pride was yet, what would you say? (gasps) Yes, I did steal this from our speaker series. And I I know you always think it's the hardest question to answer. And now I'm going to make you answer it. Yes. So I... Hmm. I think I would just kind of, um, wow, this is like making me more emotional than I thought it would. I think I would just say like, be who you are, because I don't think, um, 
I think I was so worried about, um, like I was really concerned when I was younger about confidence and I always felt like I really wasn't very confident. Um, but I knew that I had these really like powerful dreams and like plans and things that I wanted to do. Um, and I knew that I really enjoyed things like public speaking and being in front of people and being a leader. And so I was both feeling very not confident, but also feeling like I was really called to this sort of work. Um, and I think part of that was that I wasn't allowing myself to lean into the fullness of who I was. And I think part of that was in relation to disability, I think in a lot of other ways too. But I think just to give myself space to just be as I was. Um, I think I was worried about like what, um, not even so much what people would think, but just, I was just worried about how I portrayed myself. Um, and so I think just leaning into what I wanted to be in that moment and like what, like what was true for me, um, would have been really huge. And so I think I would just like give myself space to be me in those moments. And I think I still should be giving myself space to be me right now. I love you. I love oh, you as you. Thank and I you. want you to be you. Also, yes. I really wish I could give you a hug right now, but you're like 3,000 miles away. I'll give you a microphone hug. I am in fact hugging the microphone. That's probably going to make a weird noise. Maybe that's a lot. Maybe <laughs> don't hug microphones. I don't know. We're just starting this podcast. We're learning. We're learning things. We're learning new yeah. things every day. Okay. okay. So this is not an appropriate question. I'm going to preface this question with, this is not an appropriate question to go around asking people because there's a lot of stigma surrounding it, but I have preemptively gotten Tatum's permission for this. And in the spirit of normalizing accommodation, I think it's a really important question to ask. So what are one or some accommodations that have been really helpful for you as you navigate the school system as a disabled person? Ooh, um, okay. Are we still talking on like primary school? You can go whatever you want. Primary school, college. Okay. Well, you know what? Here's what I'll do. I'll say that um, my cane has been really, really helpful. Um, And I don't know if I was honest enough with myself about where my vision was at before now to know if I needed it when I was younger, but I think in some ways it would have been helpful potentially when I was younger. Um, So I think I wouldn't have even known that that was an option. But allowing, like, allowing ourselves to use mobility aids and, I don't know, having that not be a last case scenario, but a helpful option. To need a mobility aid. Yes, just a helpful option for people who it would be helpful for. Um, I never had depth perception, so I couldn't get downstairs like everyone else could. Okay, um, wait, this is really interesting. Can you, you've described this to me before. Are you comfortable describing to yes. the podcast what, like what you say when you mean you don't have depth perception? Yes. So everything is just flat and there's no, um, there's no distinction unless there's a shadow. Um, so I have no concept of like if there's stairs and there's not 
like a painted edge of the stairs or a difference in coloring um, or a shadow, then it is just flat. (laughs) Um, And so when I was like up until I was like seven or eight, probably, I would like sit down on stairs and just like slide down them so that I didn't fall. So Um, you unintentionally slide down them. Yes. Would it be like more, if I were not using my cane currently, would that be the way that I would go? Maybe. Um, But I was, um, yeah. And so, and then every so often, because my eyes kind of flow in and out of alignment, every so often, my eyes will pop into a spot for a couple seconds where I do have depth perception and then I spill whatever I'm holding. <laughs> I don't know this what's going true. on. If you're around Tatum and she gets depth perception, she goes, whoa, I just got depth perception for a second. Yes. <laughs> no, it's so significant. That would fall under the category of like things you don't hear unless you're around other disabled friends. <laughs> Yes, that was definitely a big one. Um, Yeah, so that was a huge um, accommodation that I use now. Um, And I also, um, I currently have a reader in each of my classes, very currently, um, five weeks into grad school and have had a reader for a week. So y'all can do the math there um, on how well that's going. I can't do math in my head, but I think that's four weeks without a reader, which yeah, a whole month without reading. Good times. Um, but anyway, I currently have a reader, which is a person in each, well, at this point it's not, but in undergrad, it was a person who was in each of my classes who got paid to read the homework out loud and assist with pulling quotes from our readings for essays. Um, and that was amazingly helpful, specifically reading any motion of my eyes hurts so reading is nearly impossible um and screen time hurts so even using things like screen readers can only happen for so long um and so I um had a reader in each of my classes that I did homework with and I had a one-on-one aide in high school and I think that um I think that it especially in a high school setting Um, it could have been appropriate to have assigned a peer um, or something that was not as messy as the one-on-one aid situation was. Um, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I will say that that was a very helpful accommodation and a needed accommodation, but the way that the one-on-one aids were set up at that point um, and still currently um, puts a lot of people in a lot of really negative and harmful situations and so I don't suggest um I don't suggest finding one-on-one aides who fall asleep in class or who make really uncomfortable comments but I do suggest using the accommodations that you need for your body because that um was hugely helpful for me and just helped me honestly tell like using the accommodations that I needed has helped me like tell the truth about who I am so I think um yeah, leaning into those accommodations like helps you tell the truth about your body and the way that you exist in the world. And so even if it's like awkward um, to use, being honest with yourself and being creating a safe and like helpful environment for your body is really important. Yeah. And I think just as a reminder, accommodations aren't necessarily this one size fits 
all approach that a lot of institutions try and make it just because you're disabled doesn't mean that you'll benefit from one and a half or two time length tests. Yes. Yes, a lot of disabled people do benefit from that and do need that as an accommodation. And that is something that is very valid. However, giving that to every single disabled person that applies for accommodations is probably not going to solve many issues. Like yes. boxing sometimes- people in to those categories of, oh, everyone needs this or everyone who's this way needs that is never helpful. Yeah. Accommodation should not be a like checkbox list. If you need this one, check here. If you need this one, check here. Sometimes you need really quote unquote strange accommodations. Like in high school, one of my accommodations was that I had an empty desk next to me so that if I was having trouble sitting up that day, I could just kind of lean on the desk, which I don't know, sounds kind of silly, but was something that a teacher was like, I noticed this was helpful for you when we accidentally did it. Let's get that officially in your accommodation plan. Yes. And we love teachers that don't judge you for halfway laying down in class. Yes. That's so important. I love that. So what are some ways that the school system was, and we're talking like elementary, middle, high school, mostly ish. Mm -hmm. What are some ways that the school system was helpful for you? And what are some things that you wish you could be like, oh my gosh, this needs to change like 10 years ago? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk change first so that we can end on a more positive note. I think changes that need to happen in my particular circumstances, um, the entire system around one-on-one aids needs to be different Um, because I was put in a lot of situations where it was just me and one one one-on-one aid in a room. And um, there were a lot of moments that um, they made comments that were not okay to make to high schoolers. Can um, I interrupt you really quickly? Yes. Can you describe what a one-on-one aid is? Oh, yes. So a one-on-one aid is, is a um, paraprofessional um, who is a, like, adult um, who has been hired by the school to accompany a disabled student to classes. Um, so I had a one-on-one aid to read stuff out loud to me in my classes. Other people had one-on-one aids to monitor their interactions with people or help them get access to spaces or um, wheel them in their wheelchair or whatever other um, different things that they needed. Um, And so my one-on-one aid, we would leave the classroom and read all of the stuff out loud. Um, And so that then put me in a lot of situations where I was by myself with this person um, who then could tell me whatever they wanted so could be gossiping about other teachers or um, other students um, could fall asleep (laughs) could um, tell me that they um, like thought that I was doing an awful job at being a student (laughs) and I was just there by myself Um, so that the hiring process there's very very little requirements if any to become a one-on-one aide and they get paid pretty well. And so that is 
concerning. It doesn't um, feel like there's a lot of training. Yes, yeah, and there's not a lot of training. There's almost little to no training that happens. And so um, that is a huge thing that needs to be changed. And then I also think this dynamic that um, puts students in a position to be in competition with other students needs to be changed because in our learning strategies classes, we were um, sort of, we were not the um, special education classroom. There was a specific special education classroom and we were other classes of general ed students who had IEPs. Um, So it was special education, but we were taught in that classroom um, explicitly and inexplicitly to, be as um quote unquote like unlike the students in the special education classroom as we possibly could and so the less that we could relate to our peers the better um and so that thus means the less that the least that you could relate to your identity the better and that was horribly harmful um and so i think that is something that i would love to change and i would love to um I would love to be um, sort of witness to a movement where disability pride gets brought into these special education classrooms um, because I was in special education all the way through and was never taught about um, disability history or disability culture or disability pride. I was just taught to advocate for myself and be independent, which was all sort of um, pinned on me as things that I had to do. Um, to not be part of this community, but instead understanding this community of interdependence and love and advocacy for the group um, is really powerful. And to know that we're part of that really would change a lot of students' outlooks on their life. And so I think that that would be really meaningful. Yeah, um, like what, would it, what would it be to have a special education system that taught disabled people their worth and also yes. the phrase special education system like we can get rid of that phrase too <laughs> yes. while we're yes. while we're on the list of things we want to change yes exactly but what if we taught disabled people their worth instead of teaching them how to better smush themselves into society and deny who they fully are exactly that would be huge um yeah and i think probably in um in terms of like positive outcomes of that I think um the the services that I was offered were really helpful so I had mobility training and I wish that I had had a significantly longer time with my mobility specialist um and I had training on how to use a cane how to use public transit and things like that through the school um and that was really transformational for my life and really helpful um and is probably the reason that I felt comfortable living on campus and things like that um so that was really huge and then um I had access to a case manager who would um sort of or a vision specialist in the earlier years who would advocate to all of my teachers um to get the accommodations. And I wish that that were still a thing in um, higher education because um, I could go in to class knowing that I would have a test accessible, 
Whereas now I'm having to plan three or four weeks in advance just to get tests in Braille and to get things accessible. Um, And so I think that that was really um, formative for me was to know that I um, had it. And I don't think that's true in every school system, but I think in mine in particular, I knew that I had a right to that access because I got it without too much of a fight. I think when I really had to start fighting was when I really was uncomfortable with the one-on-one aids that I had. Um, And that's where things got messy. But I think getting the actual services in the school um, was really helpful for me. Yeah. And I think not only did you have an advocate, but also the legal system in the U.S. for education for disabled people. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but there's a lot more legal precedents before you get to college. So you're legally guaranteed more things like IEPs, individualized education plans do not apply once you get to college. Yes. You can you can sometimes use them to help you develop an accommodation plan in college, but there's a lot less legal ground to stand on, although it is obviously still illegal to discriminate against disabled people in higher education but there's not the same kind of precedent for it. And so I have found that I've had a lot more issues in college than in high school. Yes, I agree. I've had a lot more issues in higher education. Um, And I don't know if that's because I was in a pretty um, well off. (laughs) um, I don't know. I was in a pretty like wealthy neighborhood in, um, I guess wealthy is the wrong word, but the, the school district that I grew up in was, um, like known to be a very good school district. And so I'm wondering if part of it was that, but I think also there was just a legal precedent that is not there in higher education. That's just so frustrating that like the thought that you could be like, oh yes, I went into a better high school. So I was more accommodated as a disabled person, yes. which is not just a thought. It's very much a reality yes. in, in the U S in particular, at least that's what we have experience with. Yeah. Yes. That's just terrifying that you could go, you could just, you could not have access to your education because you happened to be in a lower income area or etc yeah it's it's terrifying how little um yeah just how little accommodation gets thought about and how um it's always a last in areas like that um is really scary Yeah. yeah accommodation thus far has not been built into systems it's always added on at the last minute yeah and if you don't have time or money or space to add it on then it doesn't get added yeah yeah and then you don't have disabled people that can access it and then you can make the argument that oh there aren't disabled people accessing our service therefore we don't need to accommodate but they can't access your service. So you don't know that there are disabled people trying to access your service. Okay. Sorry. That was a soapbox. I agree. It's real. So I'll step off that soapbox for now, for now. We'll probably come back later. Yeah. (laughs) It'll definitely come back up later. later. (laughs) So 
the title of this podcast is Disability Belongs. What does Disability Belongs mean to you? I think it means that every aspect of a person's life, whether they're disabled or not, um, disability belongs in. And so I think it gives space for disabled people to go wherever they want to and also for um, non-disabled people to be an ally in whatever areas that they're in. Um, I kind of want to tell a little bit of a story. Um, I have, well, we won't, (laughs) we won't show it because I don't know if I'm supposed to have it. Um, But I want to tell a little bit of a story in that I, um, when I was in undergrad, Um, one of my, well, two of my professors actually noticed, and I had told them that, um, the lighting in one of the rooms was really hurting my eyes. And so my assumption was that we would just move the room, just go to a different room, do classes in a different room where the lighting didn't hurt. Um, but these professors (laughs) were wonderful and stubborn. Um, and so they, um, decided that instead of moving the room that, um, they wanted to buy lamps for the classroom because they, um, firmly believed, and this was true of my entire education in, um, undergrad, that the two them, the two of them firmly believed that, I should have access to every space in the same way as every other student. Um, And so they bought lamps and the lamps had these little um, remotes with them. Um, And those remotes, they, um, when they bought the lamp, handed me the remote and they said, you get this remote and you need to give it back at the end of the semester. And um, they so they gave me the remote, said, you need to give it back at the end of the semester, but we want you to keep it throughout the semester so that you can control how bright the lighting is, what color the lighting is, and like where the lighting is coming from. Um, so that way you have the power to access this room yourself and you can accom- like you can um, access this room in the same way that everyone else can. Um, and so that like physically holding that remote has reminded me that um that I as a disabled person should get the choice to belong in every space that everyone else gets to belong in um so that is a very physical reminder of the fact that disability belongs in every space um and I think that that more metaphorically um give space for um everyone in a really powerful way so yeah that's that's my story oh I love that story (laughs) yeah thank you so much for joining me on the podcast Tatum thank you so much I'm so excited I'm ready to watch this take off I know it'll be or listen to it take off I guess listen to it take off yeah I'm gonna listen to it take off I'm excited well thank you for joining me If you want to follow Tatum on Instagram, which you do want to follow Tatum on Instagram. Yeah, you do. Look at all kinds of disability justice and theology and wonderful content. She is at blind underscore person underscore in underscore area. Blind person in area. 
So blind person in area. Go follow Tatum there. And while you're on Instagram, you should probably also follow the podcast on Instagram. So follow disability underscore belongs underscore podcast. And we can't wait for our next show. Bye, Tatum. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our first ever episode of the Disability Belongs podcast. This podcast would not be possible without the support of the California Foundation for Independent Living Centers and the Yo! Disabled and Proud program. I would love to shout out my entire team, Evan, Tatum, Cameron, Russell, Jessica, Megan, Dan, and Christina. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and a special shout out to Juliet, who taught me all things about podcasting. I can't wait for the next episode. Join us then. Mm -hmm.